0: Good morning. Good morning, my name is Jesse Robinson, I'm a pastor here at Trinity. If you're new to Trinity or new to Charlottesville, we are so glad that you are here. I'd love to meet you after the service right back there uh, in the foyer. We're in the midst of a sermon series this July entitled The Gospel According to the Psalms. The Gospel According to the Psalms. The word gospel simply means good news. So we've been looking at what is the good news the Psalms proclaim. And today we're looking at the good news of deliverance. The gospel of deliverance. Now the more asked of confusion of our day, the church really needs biblical categories to think rightly about our world. Last week we looked at psalm 32 which is this prayer of confession and it deals with the problem of sin and guilt but if we think about that sin and guilt that's the the evil within the evil that is inside of us that we do we do things that break god's law we do things that sin against our neighbor but psalm 91 as we're about to see it doesn't really mention sin there's a different problem that it addresses, that of danger. Danger is the evil from without. If, e- if sin is within, evil is it's dangerous without. And the Bible actually affirms both these realities, that there's both an evil that is deep within each one of us, and that there's an evil outside of us. The old Reformed Confessions, the Westminster Confession, the the Heidelberg Catechism, when they talk about the human condition, you know how they describe it? They describe it as one of sin and misery. Sin and misery. You see those two categories, right? The evil that is within and the evil that is without, this misery. They do not simply reduce all evil to sin, to just personal individual sin, there's this category of misery or suffering. And in a general sense, yes, the suffering that we face is rooted in the the fall of mankind. And yet, and yet, we're not always personally responsible for these things that afflict us, right? You see, a world alienated from God is going to get dark quick. And it does. It does. We live in a world of danger. Cancer, miscarriages, disabilities, war, pandemic. Do you you hear the misery? Like we we live in misery. And so Psalm 32 gave us the solution to sin. That is confession. And now we're going to look at what is the solution to misery? What is the solution to the danger that we face? Let's look at Psalm 91. If you have your Bible, I invite you to turn there. His faithfulness is a shield and buckler. You will not fear the terror of the night, nor the arrow that flies by day, nor the pestilence that stalks in darkness, nor the destruction that wastes at noonday. A thousand may fall at your side, 10,000 at your right hand, but it will not come near you. You will only look with your eyes and see the recompense of the wicked. Because you have made the Lord your dwelling place, The Most High, who is my refuge, no evil shall be allowed to befall you. No plague come near your tent, for he will command his angels concerning you to guard you in all your ways. On their hands they will bear you up, lest you strike your foot against a stone. You will tread on the lion and the adder, the young lion and the serpent you will trample on your foot, because he holds fast to me in love. I will deliver him. I will protect him because he knows my name. When he calls to me, I'll answer him. I'll be with him in trouble. I'll rescue him and honor him. With long life, I'll satisfy him and show him my salvation. This is the word of the Lord. Would you pray with me? Father in heaven, we thank you for your word. We thank you that you offer this. Is your very heart. And so, Lord, may we see Jesus. May we hear your voice, O Lord. And may these words in my mouth and this meditation in my heart be pleasing in your sight, O Lord, my rock my redeemer. Amen. On May 27th, Netflix premiered the fourth season of Stranger Things. And that next week, a streaming record of most minutes streamed was met. 7.2 billion minutes of Stranger Things. 7.2 billion minutes. We can't get those back. They're gone. So what's behind this phenomenon? Now if, if you know Stranger Things, you know that there's a good bit of like 80s nostalgia that's behind it. Uh, if you walk on UVA, you'll see that there's an unfortunate number of mullets around. (laughs) It's come back. The short shorts, the pastels, and the mullets. The music of the 80s, right? I'm going to save Kate Bush's running up that hill for another sermon in the fall. But the clash, the police, it's a good decade, the 80s. I may have been born then. But there's a deeper reason, I think. Stranger Things is set in an average Midwestern town called Hawkins. It's pretty basic. But not all is as it seems. You see, there's another dimension that they call the upside down. And the upside down is this realm of danger. It looks like our world But a great darkness has fallen over it. And it's populated by terrible monsters. And the drama begins when the Upside Down breaks into Hawkins. These monsters are coming forth. And they're haunting Hawkins. They're actually hunting the people. The darkness of the Upside Down seeks to enter our world to conquer and destroy it. Stranger Things portrays this dimension of darkness. A supernatural reality. And I think that's actually the main attraction of it, right? Modern science keeps on saying that all there is is stuff, like matter. This is all there is. And yet, no matter how much we insist on that, the supernatural keeps on creeping in to our role. It's in the stories we tell. We know, we intuitively know that something, there's something more. There's something more. And these stories that we tell actually end up being more real, more honest in your Biology 101 class. Stranger Things is a metaphor for a fallen world. You see, we live in Hawkins, and the Upside Down has broken into our world, and there is great danger, great danger all around that threatens to defeat us. So that's our first point, a world of danger, A world of danger. We live in a world of danger. Do you see it? Do you see the danger? Psalm 91 does. Now, let me remind you that the Psalms are poems. And it's poems that speak the truth. Right? They can do it more truly than than prose. You know, I can say the word depression to you. So clinical. Kind of abstract. But when I quote Gerard Manley Hawkins, who says... I wake and feel the fell of dark, not day. I wake and I feel the fell of dark. Like you feel it in your soul. You feel the depression. And so Psalm 91 is portraying, it's this poetry that's portraying the truth about our world and is doing it more truly than just merely saying the world is dangerous. Psalm 91, it gives us these three dangers. First, the danger of ensnarement. Look at verse three. It says, the snare of the fowler. In this metaphor, we are a bird, and we are being hunted by a fowler. We face snares and traps. The landscape that we occupy, that we walk, is covered in mines. We're just a step away from danger. The danger of ensnarement. Second, the danger of battle in verses 5 through 7. Arrows are flying. Thousands are falling beside of us. You look out to your left and right, and all you see is bodies. Will you be next? The danger of battle. Third, there's the danger of pestilence. I, we, we know this one, right? Last two years... Pandemic, the pestilence stalks us in the darkness, it says in verse 6. Like, at least with the arrows, you can see them. But disease is invisible. It stalks us. It creeps up on us. Remember those early days of the pandemic when you were taking a sanitation wipe to the cardboard, right? You don't know where it's coming from, right? In that moment, that was reasonable disease pestilence the danger you know what life is like it's like being hunted psalm 91 says life is like a pandemic and you're just trying to survive one more day life is like a war and the casualties are mounting how about psalm 91 for some optimism Poetry is inherently symbolic. It's inherently expansive. You're invited to connect with it. So friends, what danger do you feel? Like deep in your soul, as you walk into this room, what is the danger, what is the anxiety that lurks behind your heart? Maybe you feel trapped. Maybe you feel ensnared by your past. By your circumstances, by your sins, by your addictions, what do you feel the danger? Do you feel the battle? Is the, do you have weariness of the constant conflict that seems to characterize our world? Like the arrows are flying and they're hitting you. What is the danger that you see? What danger do you feel? Verse 13 hints at this danger. It makes a reference to actually what is at the root of this danger. It makes reference to a lion and a serpent. Now the Bible is intentionally referential and symbolic. So any reference to a serpent anywhere in the Bible is meant to take you back to the first serpent. Right? In the very beginning, God created everything, beautiful, good, no danger in this world. But here comes a serpent in Genesis chapter 3 who seeks to ensnare humanity with his lies. He twists words to create a chasm between God and man. And that was the genesis of all danger, all of it. He is the genesis of danger. Satan, the serpent, the devil. He's a personification of evil and danger. St. Peter actually calls him a roaring lion. A roaring lion. Do you hear that? The serpent and the lion. He's a roaring lion searching for someone to devour. I know that we don't like to talk about devil, the devil and demons, and that's kind of good. But C.S. Lewis writes, there are two equal and opposite errors into which our race can fall about the devils, right? One is to disbelieve their existence, right? One is to disbelieve, oh, there's no evil forces out there. The other is to, is to believe and to feel an excessive and a healthy interest in them. Friends, I think Trinity faces that first one. We need to recognize that there is an evil. And seeing the danger... Seeing the danger that we experience, that we are actually subject to, is part of, we we have to see the devil. Brothers and sisters, in these divisive times, we love to demonize each other, don't we? Which is exactly what the demons like us to do. We like to demonize each other. Paul, at the end of Ephesians, he essentially says, the battle is not against flesh and blood. It's against the devil and the powers of darkness. Paul is essentially saying, stop biting each other and start biting the real enemy. Friends, we have we have to repent of our bitter words towards each other. Just this week I said some some arrogant and unkind things about a brother who I disagree with. And I'd apologize. Do we have eyes to see the danger? We're so often living in this kind of, all we see is what's in front of us. There is a spiritual reality. And Psalm 91 peels back the curtains. They say, this is what is really going on. There is a war. In Stranger Things, it's interesting to me, the parents are like so uninvolved. I don't know if that's a commentary on 80s parenting. (laughs) Maybe it is. But they don't see it. The kids see the danger, friends. We need to see the danger. Now, the world is danger, but we need not fear. Why? Because the Lord can deliver. That's our second point. The Lord can deliver. Deliver. This is actually the whole point of Psalm 91. It names the danger, yes, it sees it, and yet that's, it only is a backdrop to the Lord's deliverance. So, remember that ensnarement. Remember the pestilence. Look at verse 3. He will deliver you from the snare of the fowler and from the deadly pestilence. The Lord will deliver. He uses this word de- deliver. Now, unless you've spent time with our Pentecostal brothers and sisters, you've probably not heard much about deliverance. To deliver simply means to save, to rescue, to free. So even when we are ensnared, when we are ensnared by the devil, by the evil powers of this world, the Lord has power to deliver us. He saves us from the deadly pestilence. And what about the danger of battle? Look at the last line of verse 4. His faithfulness is a shield and a buckler. Now, buckler, I had to look this up. I'm not a fencer. I don't have a background in fencing, I might surprise you. Maybe <laughs> it'd be really good. As a disabled man, I have some really sharp jerks. A buckler is a small shield that goes on your wrist. It blocks the sword, right? It's almost a saying, the Lord is a shield. His faithfulness, his commitment to you is like a shield that blocks from the sword that would come at you. And the Lord delivers even from death. Look at verse 7. A thousand may fall at your side, 10,000 at your right hand, but it will not come near you. Why? Because the Lord will deliver you. The Lord will deliver you. Did you know that the United States is among the most anxious nations of the world? The most anxious nations of the world, which is somewhat ironic given our relative wealth and security. You see, anxiety is not tied to circumstances. We think that it is. We think that it is. But global studies have confirmed this over and over again. There was this massive global study done on anxiety. And you you know who had the least levels of anxiety? Ethiopia, Kenya, and Nigeria. Nigeria. They're not exactly the paragons of economic and political stability, are they? And yet they're not worried. And why are we? The Bible affirms that anxiety does not have to be circumstantial. Look at verse 5. You will not fear the terror of the night, nor the arrow that flies by day, nor the pestilence that stalks in darkness, nor the destruction that wastes at noonday. It's almost the saying. Even when we are most vulnerable, the night, the night is when we are most anxious. It's when we feel the anxieties about our kids or our marriage or our job. But even then, if the Lord is your deliverer, you do not need to fear. There can be a war going about over your head, and you do not need to fear. You can sleep peacefully in the battlefield. Why? Why? Because the Lord delivers. He delivers. And verse 11 explains one way the Lord delivers. It says, For he will command his angels concerning you to guard you in all your ways. There's a story in 2 Kings 6. Israel is being antagonized by Syria. And at one point, Syria surrounds the city, they've got them surrounded. And Elisha's servant wakes up and sees this, and he panics. He says, what are we going to do? And Elisha, who's a prophet, he's not worried. He says, don't be afraid, for those who are with us are more than those who are with them. Those who are with us are more than those who are with them. And then Elisha prays that his servant, this young man, would have his eyes opened. And the Lord opens his eyes. And you know what the servant sees? He sees this host, this army of angels, chariots of fire all around him and Elisha. When you feel ensnared, when you feel trapped, that is the work of the devil. When you feel like the battle is too much, that is Satan's lie. Because when the Lord is your shelter, your dwelling place, there is always hope, always a way out. Friends, do you need your eyes opened that you might see that there is a host of angels surrounding you? Surrounding you. Verses 9 and 10 summarize the Lord's deliverance. Because you have made the Lord your dwelling place, the Most High, who is my refuge, no evil shall be allowed to befall you. No plague come near your tent. Which leads us to our third point. There's four. We're almost there. Third point. The Lord delivers those who dwell in him. Who dwell in him. So let's look at the dwelling. This is exactly how the psalm begins. Verse 1. He who dwells in the shelter of the Most High will abide in the shadow of the Almighty. In the face of danger, that that world, that dangerous world that we live in, the call is to dwell in the shelter of God, in his shelter. Now, we don't really understand this phrase, shadow of the Almighty, because we have AC, and we live in a temperate culture. I was able to go back home to Texas, and uh, right by my hometown is actually the second largest canyon in the U.S. The Grand Canyon gets all the press. It's very frustrating. But Paladura Canyon is the second largest canyon. It's 10 miles from where I, I grew up. Now, we took my uh, son and daughter there. Uh, it's almost a desert. It's almost. My dad is a soil scientist, so I can't use the term desert liberally. Um, it's, it's like a couple inches of rain from being a desert, okay? It gets real hot. We started hiking. We started hiking uh around 10 a.m around 11 it's a dry heat and yet that dry heat that sun will bake you it will bake you and where we found refuge is in these caves these caves and in those caves it's about 15 to 20 degrees cooler than outside in the sun that's that's what it means to dwell in the shadow of the Almighty. Like when you're living in the desert culture, there is no shade. And yet shade can be a matter of life and death. The Lord is a refuge, a shadow. Now what does this look like to dwell in the Lord? That's a very churchy phrase, right? Dwell in the Lord. What does it look like? Well, let's just think very simply about this. What does it look like to dwell in a house? you return there daily, right? It's the place where you eat and sleep. When there's a storm, when it's too cold, when it's too hot, you go inside your house for shelter. That's the same with the Lord. You return to him each day. You eat and rest in him. So let me get even more practical here because we can understand this dwelling in God in these overly mystical ways. Look at what the psalmist means by it. So in verse 1, he says, dwell, dwell in the shelter of the Lord. And look at verse 2. I will say to the Lord, my refuge and my fortress, my God in whom I trust. He speaks to the Lord. The first step of dwelling with the Lord is to speak to him, to open your heart, to open your fears. You tell him about the danger. And I've often found that the Lord is like the last person that we go to with our struggles right like I always talk to all my friends about the things that are frustrating me before I talk to God and yet to shelter in God is to take him to run immediately to him with those verses 14 through 16 they lay out even more what it means to dwell with the Lord we hold fast to the Lord in love and we keep coming back to him in worship in the scriptures verse 15 we call out to him in trouble We cry out to him in danger. And do you see the incredible promises that God gives? Listen to this. Make this about you. This is now the Lord speaking in verses 14 through 16. The Lord says, I will deliver him. I will protect him. When we call to him, he answers us. He is with us in trouble. He rescues and honors us. He satisfies us with long life. And he shows us our salvation. That's what it means to dwell in the Lord. That's what it means to dwell in Him, is to make Him your everything, to have this rich communion with Him. Verse 4 of Psalm 91 gives us this picture. So verse 3 portrayed us as a bird in danger of the snare. And in verse 4, we're a baby bird. It says, He will cover you with His pinions, and under His wings you will find refuge. Refuge. Now a baby bird is absolutely helpless it can't get food for itself when whenever it's sitting in a nest it is just it's it's absolutely a sitting literally a sitting duck right to a predator that might come by and get it and so what does the mother bird do a mother bird covers its young with her wings that is protection it's protection from the elements It's protection from rain and hail. His mother's wings are his salvation, his refuge where he dwells. When God saved saved Israel from Egypt in Exodus 19, he says, I bore you on eagles' wings and brought you to myself. You see, dwelling with the Lord means staying. The Lord saved you with his wings, and dwelling with him means staying in his wings. It means, you know, so often when life is hard, I'll see, I'll see my, my, uh, my kids or me run to my bed, right? Like your bed is kind of your refuge, right? If I can just like get in the covers, like maybe this big, bad, scary world will go away. My problems will go away. That's actually what God promises us. He is like those sheets, those blankets, and he says, I will cover you. I'll protect you. I am your wings. I am your cover. The Lord's wing takes the world's blows and bruises instead of you. Now let's look at one more point. So, so far, we've seen that the Lord delivers those who dwell in him from danger. The Lord delivers those who dwell in him from danger. Now let's look at the devil's defeat. So we have to be careful here, though. You can read Psalm 91 as saying that no evil or no danger will ever befall you. In fact, there's something almost hyperbolic about verse 12. Look, look back at verse 12. He says, They will not, on their hands they will bear you out, these are the angels, lest you strike your foot against the stone. It's almost saying, like, if you are dwelling in the Lord, you're not even going to stub your toe. That's how charmed a life you're going to have. Does anyone want that life? <laughs> I step my toe all the time. It's deeply frustrating. So wh- what is this psalm saying? If I stub my toe, does that mean that I'm not dwelling with the Lord? Does that mean that something's not right? Now we know that this is not how we should read this psalm because this is exactly how Satan reads this psalm. And you usually don't want to follow Satan in his hermeneutic. Satan quotes Psalm 91 in the temptation of Jesus. He quotes these exact verses I just showed you, verse 11 and 12. He says, He will command his angels concerning you, Jesus, and on their hands they will bear you up, lest you strike your foot against the stone. You see, Satan is actually highlighting this promise of pr- protection. To Jesus. He's saying the Lord will defend you at such length that you're not even going to stub your toe, Jesus. But Jesus rejects Satan's interpretation. Why? Why? Well, first of all, God does protect Jesus time and time again, right? He did command his angels concerning Jesus. Right after Jesus' temptation, you know who came to minister to him? Angels. God is making good on his promise in Psalm 91. And yet, why this rejection? Well, you see, we have to understand what Christ's temptation was about. It was really about suffering. It was really about suffering. The devil is offering Jesus a shortcut. He's saying, you don't need to go hungry. You can, take, you can make these stones into bread. You don't need to go to the cross. I can give you the kingdoms of the world now. You don't need to suffer. And that's why Jesus said, no. 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 It's a powerful argument, isn't it? That we shouldn't suffer. The devil still uses this argument. Do you know what one of the number one reasons people don't believe in God is? How would a good God allow suffering? Right? Do you see how the devil continues to use that in temptation? You don't need to, you don't need to suffer in this world. I've seen Christians walk away from their faith once they actually experience real suffering. There's this temptation that we can avoid the cross. But Jesus rejects this road. He doesn't read Psalm 91 this way because he walks the road to the cross. You see, Psalm 91 actually acknowledges suffering. The promise in verse 15, look back at verse 15, it says, I will be with him in what? you got to be alive, guys. I will be with him in what? Trouble. There is trouble that we experience in this life. And the promise is not that we forgo that trouble. It's that God will be with us. And that's exactly who Jesus is. He who was God came down from heaven to be with us in our trouble. That's the unique claim of Christianity that God came down and tasted the trouble of life. In the week of Jesus' death, he's he's going to the cross, he's in Jerusalem, and he offers this powerful lament. He says, Oh, Jerusalem, Jerusalem, how often would I have gathered your children together as a hen gathers her brood under her wings? And you are not willing. Jesus puts himself as this mother bird, right? Right? He offers his wings as shelter to Jerusalem. Why? Shelter from what? From judgment. From judgment. Back in 2021, there was a, a viral video of a red waddled lapwing mother. It's a bird. And lapwings build their nests in the ground, and they tend to camouflage their eggs with rocks. And this lapwing had nested in a farmer's field. And the former was plowing the field for the planting season when he heard some commotion. And so he turned on his camera and steered the tractor towards the noise. And here was this red, waddled, laughing mother, right in the route of the giant tractor tire. Now she was bowed up, wings stretched, screeching, screaming at this tractor, but she never moved. Like the tractor wheel got within inches of her and she stood her ground. Later, the farmer got down and saw one little egg that this bird was protecting. Friends, that is Jesus. He is that bird who stands in the way of that judgment, of that tractor. He will give up his life before he lets us to harm that is what it means to hide under the wings of the Lord it is to hide yourself in Jesus See, he is the shelter of the Lord most high he is the refuge when you suffer danger we can hide ourselves in Jesus I have one little subpoint here more Hebrews 5.8 says something very curious about Jesus It says, although he was a son, he learned obedience through what he suffered. In other words, even though Jesus was the son of God, he had to learn something. And the only way that he could learn that obedience was through suffering. John Newton, the former slave owner a Convert, who wrote Amazing Grace, has this short little meditation called the School of Suffering. Listen to what he says. But the Lord sends afflictions one after another to quicken our desires and to convince us that this world cannot be our rest. Sometimes if you drive a bird from one branch of a tree, you will hop to another a little higher, and from thence to a third. But if you continue to disturb him, he will at last take wing and fly quite away. Thus we, when forced from one creature of comfort, perch upon another, and so on. But the Lord mercifully follows us with trials and will not let us rest upon any branch. By degrees, our desires take a nobler flight until we can be satisfied with nothing but himself. In other words, God gives us suffering that we might take refuge in him and experience his joy. If you're anything, if you're anything like me, when life is going well, You do not need God. At least you think so. And God sends suffering to us that we might know his power. Now friends, it's ironic that the devil quotes verse 11 and 12 because look at verse 13. He stops short. Look at verse 13. You will tread on the lion and the adder. The young lion and the serpent you will trample underfoot. The very next verse predicts Satan's undoing. Friends, that's exactly what Jesus did. He trampled on Satan. And so we have his deliverance. We are delivered from the power of the devil. If you put your trust in him, let us pray and thank him for that deliverance. Oh Lord, we thank you for Psalm 91. Thank you that we do, even though we face a great danger, Lord, that you are a more powerful refuge still. Lord, would we dwell in you. But we hold fast to you in love that you might deliver us. In Christ's name, amen.